Amen. Hey, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of uh, a morning together here as a church to sing, to pray, to read your word aloud and consider what it means uh, for our lives. So we pray now that you would teach us and speak to us and help us by your spirit understand what we read and apply it to our lives. God, thank you for your love and your presence here with us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, once again, welcome to FBC. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, my name's Matt. I'm the pastor here. And we're just glad that you are with us, especially today on Mother's Day, such a special day of celebration. And I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn with me in the book of Acts. Uh, chapter 4, verse 23 is where we're going to be starting. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are some on the seats in front of you. Or uh, you can join us or look along on the screen as we'll have the words there. So Acts chapter 4, verse 23. 23. Hey, I can't remember who said this quote, but it's always stuck with me. They said, if you want to know how spiritually mature someone is, see how they respond when you tell them no. Again, if you want to see how spiritually mature someone is, see how they respond when you tell them no. In other words, our character and our hearts aren't truly revealed when things are smooth sailing and things are all good, right? It's, it's when things don't go our way that we see our heart and our character. How does someone handle a situation like that? It's true in the church. Uh, it's been true in my life. I remember back in seminary, at the end of seminary, there was a, uh, a student preaching series in chapel where they would take the top like four or five preachers from our whole you know, class, and the best four or five preachers would have an opportunity to preach in chapel to the whole faculty, to the whole student congregation. Um, and uh, do you think I was one of those top four or five that, that were chosen? Thank you for your kindness, but no. I was not, and, and that was difficult for me, because I wanted to be acknowledged and recognized and, and placed uh, and given an opportunity to do that, but uh, I wasn't. I didn't get what I wanted, and there was some, uh, some unflattering things that, that came up in my heart in that time. <laughs> A little bit of grumbling or, or frustration or bitterness even. Now, looking back, it was absolutely the right call. There were much better preachers than me in our class. It was the right decision, but it was, it was hard for me. This is true for each of us in, in, in relationships sometimes. When we are told no or something doesn't go our way, how will we respond? This is why sometimes it's so difficult as a parent, right? Because you have these little savages that you're raising and they don't do what you want them to do right and you as a parent don't get your way they don't always listen to you and they expose all these things in your heart your own selfishness and frustration kind of bubbles to the surface and so children are a gift of God's grace to us of course they're also agents of of chaos and agents that are in our lives revealing what is true about us they show us like a mirror our hearts so the point is we don't find out who we are when things are smooth sailing. Challenges, opposition, trials, not getting our way, being told no, those things all reveal our hearts and how much we need to grow and where our trust is placed. 
and where we run or look to for comfort and security. And so we see in the book of Acts this theme throughout of opposition and pressure and persecution that the early believers, the early followers of Jesus are facing. We've already seen it for a few weeks now. We see it in our passage again this morning. How will Peter and John respond to the trials and pressure that they are facing? We heard a bit of it read already, but I want to zoom out a little bit, rewind a little bit to just remember where we've been. Acts chapter 4 verse 19 says this, uh, but Peter and John replied, this is when they're on trial, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Okay, so there's a little bit of context. Like last week, we see that we're, we're still looking at the same sequence of events that goes back to the beginning of chapter 3. Uh, so just a little recap, right? At the beginning of chapter 3, Peter and John, they go up to the temple to pray, and there's a man there begging, a man who had been lame from birth, right? unable to, to walk, his legs and feet had not developed properly, and they, in the name of Jesus, heal this man. He gets up, runs around, starts celebrating in the temple, and a crowd gathers, they're amazed, and they say, what in the world is going on? And Peter and John, who had healed the man in the name of Jesus, have this opportunity to preach the gospel. And so they tell everybody about Jesus and about his resurrection and about uh, this is the work of God on display in your midst, but there's this crowd and people are coming to faith, but the, the big wigs in power, the authorities aren't happy. And so they arrest Peter and John, they throw him in jail overnight. And the next morning, they're brought on, on trial before the Sanhedrin, the highest court in the land, and they're, they're grilling them, questioning them, and Peter and John boldly uh, preach the gospel there as well, telling them about Jesus, and, and then the council threatens them and says, hey guys, you got to stop talking about Jesus, and they say, no, we're not going to stop talking about Jesus, and then they threaten them some more, and then they send them out. Deep breath. Good? Caught up to speed? That's what we've seen so far, Okay. In verse 23, our passage this morning is picking up this story. We have these, these criminal disciples, these disturbers of the peace, with a run-in with the law. And we're going to see how afterwards, after this stern talking to, after these threats, will they respond. Now, we saw Peter and John told the council directly, like, hey, you guys want us to stop talking about Jesus? Um, too bad. Ain't going to happen. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. Thank you very much. Um, but we maybe wonder, as they go back to the rest of the church, to the rest of the, the, the believers and the rest of the leadership there in Jerusalem, how, how will their peers respond? You know, the, the hundreds who, who came to faith... Uh, repented and trusted in Christ just the day before, or the, the thousands of Jews who over the past few weeks had joined this movement of, of Jesus' followers, how will they respond to the pressure? I mean, maybe they'll say, hey, Peter and John, hey, appreciate the boldness, but you guys are going to get us in trouble, so I love, you know, what you did there on trial, you, you, but you kind of spoke out of turn. We need to settle things down. We want things to go smoother for us. Thank you very much. Right, so let's, let's see what happens when they, they go back to, to base camp, so to speak. Verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. 
Notice that on their release, Peter and John go back to the group, to, to the believers. The rest of them gathered together. And verse 24 says that when they heard everything that happened, they raised their voices together in prayer. So notice with me the simple fact that their first response in a situation like this is prayer. Their first instinct as, as a, a movement of Jesus followers, uh, the church, their first response to the threat of persecution and opposition uh, and potential suffering or hardship coming their way, outside pressure, their first response was prayer. So under pressure, the church prays. First takeaway. Under pressure, the church prays. We have to consider this morning, honestly, would that have been our first move? Our first instinct when we face trouble? Is that your first response when trouble comes your way? I'll be the first to admit, prayer sometimes is not my first response. When I face external pressure of some kind, it's not always, hey, first thing, drop to my knees and pray. Sometimes I'll, true story, find myself like hours into a problem or difficulty or situation, and God will kind of tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, um, you haven't really brought this to me yet. You haven't invited me into this. Why have you delayed and waited so long? Why wouldn't you run to me first thing? Now, I've never been literally on trial for my faith like the apostles were here. Never been persecuted because I follow Jesus. But we all face pressures, uh, opposition, challenges in life of various kinds. Some of us are feeling the weight of those things in this room right now. We deal with grief and loss. We, we deal with financial pressures or unexpected financial circumstances that are a burden on us. We, we deal with difficult relational stresses and, and broken relationships and damaged relationships in our family. We deal with uh, difficult leadership situations at work, right? Challenges in the workplace. Uh, we face uncharted parenting territory. And in those places, we have to wonder, where do we turn first? For some of us, our first response is to be the problem solver, right? We go into strategy mode. We, we get out the whiteboard and the flow chart and we say, how are we going to solve this situation? Any problem solvers in here? First move, let's, yeah, let's, let's get to work. We're going to crack this code. We got this. Here we go. Like we're, we're fixers. Some of us, though, um, are, are much more productive than that, and we start by worrying. <laughs> Our first response is, let me worry about this. I gotta, you gotta figure out. Let me. Someone's gotta do it, right? So, like, I'll, I'll do it for the group. I'll worry. Let me. Let me take that on. And we're just, we're just riddled with anxiety in the face of pressure. Some of us, our first response is not strategy. It's not anxiety. Sometimes it's what we call being a fighter. And your first response is, I'm gonna get angry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back. I'm going to challenge authority. I'm going to stick it to the man. I'm going to stand up for what's right. Some of us, our first response is to ignore whatever we're facing. Any ignorers in the room? Like, if I just ignore this long enough, it'll go away. 
So my first response is to do nothing and ignore it. Or maybe, maybe you're a, a mix of, of all of the above. I know I certainly can relate to a number of those. So think about it. What's our first response when we face trial? The early church didn't do any of those things. It wasn't worry. It wasn't panic. It wasn't a strategy meeting. It wasn't lawsuits or boycotts or, or marches or filing of grievances or ignoring or fighting. It, it, it was prayer. The first thing they did was they called out to God. And in Acts chapter 4 here, we see this is the longest recorded prayer in the book of Acts where the believers, their first response is, hey, hey, before we go any further, we have to talk to our Father about this. We have to invite him into this. And their response reminds me of, of, again, I've mentioned this before, the desk of one of the pastors at our old church back in Denver. On his desk, he had a simple little printout that said, prayer before strategy. Prayer before strategy. Before we go any further, let's go talk to our Father about this. Because under pressure, the church prays. Right? Prayer is fundamental to who we are as a church. And so far in the book of Acts, maybe you've noticed this, in every chapter, right, we're at the end of chapter 4, in every chapter so far, you see the church gathering together, and they pray. Every chapter so far, they've been doing exactly that. Let's go to our Father with this. And it's this impulse, uh, uh, this activity of prayer that really embodies this, this first core commitment to worship, right? Or to, to worship, connect, grow, and go. Those are our commitments as a church. Those should be core commitments of us as individual followers of Jesus, four big categories, four big targets that we keep aiming at. Uh, this, this posture of prayer is at the heart of worship. That we come before God, we are dependent upon you. God, we are devoted to you. God, in, in humility, we draw near to you through the work of Christ. You've given us access to your throne room to call you our Father, and so we worship you as our Father. This has got to be the, the heartbeat for, of us as individual Christians and as a church. That we're not here j- just to, hey, have fun together and connect, and we're not here just to, hey, learn some new things and, like, grow and mature, and we're not here just to go get busy out in the world doing good things and sharing the gospel. No, it starts with worship. Are we a people who, hey, first thing, we just, we run to our Father. First thing, we cherish and treasure this relationship that we have with our Father in heaven. Can't overlook this. Because when we pray like this, it just acknowledges, God, we are dependent upon you. God, we are hungry for your presence. We just want to be near to you. When we pray each week as a church family in, in service, we acknowledge, God, you are real. You are here. You are strong and able to respond to everything that we're facing. Or think about it. When you're in trouble or when you have a need, you often will, will run to or go to someone who has resources that you don't. Like when you're moving across town and you don't own a truck, you call up someone who owns a truck. You say, they have something that I don't have. They have a resource that I need, and I need to invite them into my situation. (laughs) Truck owners, you know what's up, and we're grateful for you. How much more than, like, in, in just an infinitely bigger way do we say, God has unlimited resources, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. 
He has unlimited power. He does all that he pleases. There's no situation that he is unable to enter into and radically transform. And not only that, but God, he is for us. He's our father who loves us, who knows what we need and wants to give good gifts to his children. So why would we not first thing run to him and say, Father, here's what I'm facing. Father, I invite you into this moment in my life. I need you. It's an incredible opportunity that we have to run to our Father in prayer. Now, you notice as, as we go on, we see that the church, they pray. And the text gives us the content of their prayer. It shows us what they say, how they pray, what, what, what words they use. Look at it in verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And here's what they say. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's an interesting way to start a prayer, right? It, it's noteworthy that they don't just jump in, God, and then, they, and then a list of requests. Not that that would necessarily be bad, but, but notice they, they don't jump right to, God, here's what I need. Hey, God, if you could respond right away, that'd be great. You know, chip, chop, chip, we're under, we're under pressure here. Time is of the essence. Come on. No, their prayer starts with what, what we could call pondering. So under pressure, the church prays, but under pressure, the church ponders. It's a word that means thinks of, reflects on, considers. They ponder together, they reflect on together these truths about God. God, as I approach you, they say, we need to first just remember who you are. We need to ponder who it is that we're talking to. And we need to hold before our minds and our hearts these truths about you. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's sinful or wrong to, to run into the throne room of God and in desperation just, just cast our anxieties upon him. And Father, here's what I need and here's where my heart is. And in desperation, I cry out to you, would you respond? Right, sometimes that's just exactly what we should do. God, help, would you intervene? But often we see this opportunity in prayer to have this additional step, to ponder. We see this in, in Scripture, often repeated. We see this in the history of the church, that as we go to the Lord in prayer, first there's this step of just remembering who God is, praising Him for, for who He is. One commentator put it this way, that, that this pondering, when we do this, we're remembering the truths about God that anchor the viability of our requests. Meaning, when we remember these truths about God, first God, we want to remember who you are and that you are real and big and able to respond to anything that I bring before you. So look, they start in verse 24, and I just want to see how they model this pondering. What do they say? Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Interesting, right? They're facing pressure and, and persecution and opposition, and they start off by talking about uh, the sea and sea creatures and animals and creation. They're, the, the reason they're doing this is they're reminding themselves these truths of Scripture, saying, God, first of all, this is your world, and we need to remember that. Right? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, Psalm 24 says. 
So God, you made the heavens and the earth. You are the sovereign creator and sustainer of everything. There's nothing you can't do. There's nothing out of your sight and and your will. So so whatever we're facing, whatever challenges that, that scare us or cause us anxiety, Lord, it fits somehow under the umbrella of your sovereignty. Nothing we're facing is bigger than you. There's no situation we're in that you can't change or redeem or transform. Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You hold it all in your hands. So we approach you at remembering that. I experienced a little bit of this in prayer this week. Um, Friday morning, a little after 6 a.m., was sitting in prayer started my day with, with the Lord and had some things on my heart and my mind that were making me anxious and causing me to worry about the future. And I sensed God in that moment reminding me like, hey, you know that like sermon you're about to preach on Sunday? Maybe you should do what you're telling other people to do. Like, you should practice what you preach, literally, you know? Um, and I was like, yeah, that, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Um, and so I said, okay, first, I just need to ponder, Lord, who you are then. And so he, he brought to mind for me in that moment, as I'm sitting there, he brought to mind for me, true story, verses like, like Matthew 10, 29, that say, not, not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the Father's will. Not a single bird falls to the ground apart from your father's will, and you are more valuable than many sparrows. And not only that, this is Jesus speaking, he says, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So just just ponder that truth for a minute. Just the, the detail with which God knows you. The very number of hairs on your head. Some of us have more up there than others on the head, but I got a thick head of hair, so I'm like, that's a lot of hairs. He knows the number. And your father, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, he says this, look at the flowers of the field. Remember that verse? They're not anxious or, or spinning or toiling, and yet God clothes them beautifully and takes care of them. And your father knows what you need even before you ask him. So just take a minute in prayer to to ponder these truths, the great attention to detail that God uh, pays in your life, the the fact that nothing in your life, Matt, nothing in your life is a surprise to God. There's no situation that you're walking through that God is going to look at and go, oh man, like that got really carried away. (laughs) I did not see that coming, and I'm a little worried now. There's nothing that surprises him. Everything is perfectly in control in his loving hands. Not only that, his power, his attention to detail, he knows what you need. Not only that, but he's for you. He is for you. Right, through faith in Christ, he's adopted you into his family and, and called you his son or his daughter. And so your eternity is in his hands. He's at work always for, for his glory and your good to shape you into the image of Christ. Jesus said he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. He wants you to flourish under his good care. I mean, remember his great love for you displayed on the cross. That he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. So Jesus stepped willingly into our place, dying on a cross for the sins that that we deserve to carry. 
Consider his great love for you. Remember the gospel. Remember Philippians 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it through unto completion. So God began this work of salvation. He saved you and redeemed you and called you and rescued you out of the dominion of death and darkness and the enemy. And he's going to carry that through unto completion, meaning he's not going to abandon you along the way. What he started in you, he will bring it through to completion. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to say, man, you've, you've messed up one too many times. My patience is done. No, you're adopted and saved in Christ. So in prayer, we need to ponder these truths about God. And as I did that, I just felt the anxiety um, moving away. And I confess there are moments where I, I try to do this for situations that, that are still heavy and difficult and the anxiety uh, is still there at times. And yet this is the, the posture and the practice we can implement is that as we go to the Father in prayer, just remember these great truths about him. Not only this, but they, they, they ponder the fact, hey God, this is your world, you created everything. Also, they ponder God's plan. Did you see that? Verse 25, he said, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, and now they're quoting Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So notice what they're saying together in, in their prayer. They're, they're quoting Psalm 2, which was seen as a messianic psalm, meaning it pointed forward to the Messiah. The people of Israel read it and said, hey, this is about the Messiah to come. And it talks there about how the nations rage and plot in vain against God. They somehow stand opposed to God and to the, the Savior and the hero that he will raise up. And so they're quoting Psalm 2 and saying, this has been fulfilled in Jesus. Because, verse 27, they're saying, hey, the rulers and the nations of the earth did rise up against Jesus, right? And they mentioned Pilate and, and Herod, or excuse me, Pilate uh, with the Gentiles, the people of Israel. Yeah, Herod, they all conspired against your servant, Jesus. So what was spoken in Psalm 2 has now come to pass in the work of Jesus. In verse 28, they're responsible for this, and yet somehow in, in the sovereign will and mystery of God's sovereignty, this was part of his perfect plan for salvation. What God had decreed, decided beforehand should happen. So there's a lot we could get into with that the Psalm 2 reference and God's sovereignty. But the, the point is that they are pondering not only, that, hey, God, this is your world, but hey, God, this is your plan unfolding. God, in the cross of Christ, we see, we see your plan unfolding. We see scripture being fulfilled. We see you keeping your promises. We see your hand at work. And so far in Acts, in every chapter there's been the church praying, and in every chapter there's been a clear reference to God's sovereign plan and will unfolding. And so the model in all this is that, hey, before they get to the request, they, they ponder who God is. God, this is your world. God, we trust in you and your plan, and we see it unfolding so that everything we're facing, every pressure and opposition and challenge somehow 
fits under the umbrella of your sovereignty, even if we don't quite understand it, God, we're going to sit and we're just going to trust that you're going to work things for good in your glory. And so my encouragement would be just to simply uh, practice this, work, work this into your prayer life. Uh, as you go to the Lord in prayer, either on your own or at, at your community group or in some other group setting, uh, would you, again, leave space in there sometimes to, to ponder who God is, to, to thank him for his power or his sovereignty or his goodness, to reflect on some of these truths about him. It's a good and healthy and necessary habit in our prayer life. So the, the apostles pray first. They ponder, and because I'm trying to be a good um, pastor and preacher, there's a third P we're going to look at, okay, a third P in the story. Uh, look at verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, they get to their requests, right? God, here's what we'd love to see happen. So under pressure, here it is, the church prays, and under pressure, the church ponders, and under pressure, the church petitions. And petition is just a fancy word for bringing your requests, written or otherwise, <laughs> bringing your, your requests before someone in power, bringing your requests before God. God, here's what we need. God, would you move and intervene in this way? And you see what they ask God for. Here it is, verse 29. After they've pondered who God is now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. God, we want to preach the gospel with boldness and power. God, enable us, empower us by your spirit. God, would you continue to move and work, uh, do signs and wonders and miracles and heal people and, and intervene? Doesn't that prayer blow you away? To, to me, that's a pretty amazing prayer because notice that what they don't pray for. Right? They don't pray for, hey, God, the persecution's getting a little heated. Could you, like, dial it back a little bit for us? We need less of that. And they don't, they don't ask for, like, a weakened opposition. Like, would they, you know, just forget about us and let us be and the people in power would stop harassing us. They don't pray for fewer problems. They don't pray that God would smite their enemies. They don't pray that Herod's dog would die. They don't, you know, they don't ask God to make things easier for them. Now, hear me. I don't think it's wrong to, to ask God to relieve some of the pressure in our lives. God, would you change this situation? God, things are heavy. I need your help. God, would you give me some rest? Would there be less resistance? It's, it's not necessarily wrong to pray for those things. But you notice that for them, for the apostles, that's not where their focus was. Their focus wasn't on like an easier, comfortable life. Because an easy, comfortable life is not necessarily the goal of Christianity. Right? So they didn't pray, Lord, make things easier, make us more comfortable. They said, Lord, make us stronger. Lord, would your, your mission go forth unhindered? Lord, would the gospel go out? I've, I've used this illustration before, but they were praying what I would call four-wheel drive prayers. See, out in Colorado, where we live, four-wheel drives were really popular. Like, if you had a four-wheel drive car, you were like, 
official, you know, Coloradan. Uh, if it was a Subaru, even better. You know, that's like the Colorado car. And uh, I remember before we had a four-wheel drive and my little, you know, Camry, four-cylinder Camry just was like sliding around in snowstorms sometimes and just was really, it, it, even around town, right, it wasn't, wasn't doing great. And we eventually got a four-wheel drive car and we're like, whoa, we're in. Like we had the stamp of approval uh, from the state of Colorado. It was great. Um, but the thing that was great about a four-wheel drive car is that you didn't really have to worry about what the weather was going to be like. Because your car was equipped to handle whatever the circumstances might be. And so if it's snowy, hey, our car can handle that. And if it's rainy, hey, our car can handle that. And if we're going to go off-roading in the mountains and have some fun, okay, our car can handle that. And so you see, there's a way to pray uh, that says, hey, God, would you keep the storms away? And then there's a way to pray four-wheel drive prayers. So Lord, equip us to face whatever the weather is going to be. And that's what we see the apostles doing. Lord, make us stronger. Lord, Lord help us have the, the strength and the conviction and the boldness by your spirit to endure and face uh, whatever is ahead. Help us have soft hearts that, that trust you. That, that, that no matter what comes our way in life, no matter how bitter or difficult or, or challenging it might be, Lord, we would sit and trust in you. Not easy to do. And yet, what we see them model. And they can do this because they've so, I think, embraced the gospel message. They've so embraced the reality that through the work of Jesus, their sins are forgiven. And because of the work of Jesus, they have the gift of eternal life. And because of the work of Jesus, now they have the very spirit of God indwelling them. They have this power now to live a new life. They have this uh, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They can be confident in that reality, that they're secure in the hands of a loving Father. And so they can move forward with conviction. Not only that, but again, they're embracing the mission, right? It's worship, connect, grow, and go. They realize that there's a world that needs to hear the gospel. We have neighbors that need to know about Jesus. And we have a, a city out in front of us that, that's hurting and needs to be loved and encouraged. And we as the church can, can rise up and go out and do exactly that. We can share the good news of the gospel. We can show great love to our community in Jesus' name. Right? And so, so the prayer is not, hey, worship and connect and grow and worship and connect and grow and worship and connect and stay comfortable and worship and connect and be encouraged. But it's there's, we, the go piece. God, you've called us to be your witnesses. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you want to send us out. And so, Lord, prepare us for that. We can't do it on our own, right? So, Father, make us bold. Father, fill us with your spirit for the work that you've called us to do. And we see that God answers their prayer, and he shakes the place that they are, and he fills them with boldness by the spirit, and they continue to preach about Jesus. And so our posture should be the same, right? That, that under pressure, we, we pray, we ponder, we petition, and then, this one's just a bonus, we persevere, and we stay the course that God set us on. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, we love you, and we, we look to you now, and we remember that you are the creator and sustainer of all things. Father, all things are in your hands. And sometimes we, we admit we don't know how all of the details and 
tragedy and difficulty and pain and victories and celebrations of life, how it all fits together in your sovereign plan. And yet, Lord, um, we sit here as your children and just declare that we, we trust you and we love you and we know that you love us and we're not going to let our circumstances define who you are. We're going to let you define our circumstances. And so, Father, I pray you'd, you'd help us. Uh, would you comfort us? I know so many of us in this room right now are hurting or burdened or weary. Would you now just pour your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit? Lord, we cry out to you. We need you. We need your hand, your comforting presence with us right now. And Father, we do just pray for boldness like those early believers did. Fill us with your spirit for all the good work you've called us to do here in our day. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.